With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Mike Simonson, founder of Altos Research, to talk about inventory and home prices in different markets across the country and what to expect from the housing market this fall. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking to Desmond Smith, Chief Growth Officer at UWM, about SafeCheck. Desmond, how does SafeCheck work? Hey, Sarah, how are you? So I would say first, you know, SafeCheck is allowing uh, LOs to give their bars peace of mind. So let's start there. You know, trigger leads have become a very large issue, not just in the mortgage space, but in any time someone's getting any type of credit. So we created SafeCheck to help prevent kind of that uh, aggravation and nuance of receiving, you know, tens, twenties, hundreds of calls that consumers receive. So what happens with SafeCheck is any LO who uses UWM, it's an exclusive product SafeCheck is to UWM, they would be able to either pull a single or tri-merge soft pool credit report. And while that credit report is being used to run AUS, they will have time to opt their consumer out of any solicitations and then therefore they will not receive all of those annoying calls and annoying solicitations. And that is also a big benefit because the, the cost of the credit bureau is much cheaper by leveraging SafeCheck. So it really is a win um, for LOs and it's obviously a win for consumers so they don't receive so many phone calls um, offering all different types of products and services. I can see how that could be a game changer. Thank you, Desmond. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be back. Great to have you on. So we are at that point in the year and in the in the seasonal part of the housing market where everybody wants to know what is going on. And we've had such an unusual spring and summer as far as inventory and therefore prices. Um, and now we're heading into fall. So I really think this is the perfect time to have you on uh, to give us some of the data behind this. Um, so of course, uh, you know, at Altos Research, you guys have some of the most real-time amazing data for down to specific markets. So we're so excited to um, get to delve into that. Great. Let's talk. Okay, let's talk. So um, first, catch us up on where the where the summer market has been, spring and summer. How has that been typical and how has it been atypical? You know, we started the year with, uh, you know, in a really freeze out uh, from the fourth quarter of last year. And uh, I was frankly expecting that we would have, therefore, uh, you know, we had sl- such low demand in the fall that we expected that that would continue in the spring, that therefore inventory would build, uh, there would be more selection for buyers, uh, and uh, and potentially then home prices correcting down at least a little bit. There wasn't any sign of big home price crash, but but at least a little bit of home price correction down. Uh, we got none of that. We had uh, surprising amounts of 
uh, demand. Like the buyers had settled into understanding that this is the financing environment that they're going to buy in. Uh, rates had eased up from the sevens down back into the sixes. And so people bought homes. And as a result, um, when rates fell from November, middle of November, whenever the peak down to, uh, down, down to start ticking back down again to the start of the year, um, when people started buying houses. So the, the highest inventory of the year was January 1. Until right about now, it's starting to tick back up. Maybe next week we will have more homes on the market, uh, 494,000 or something like that by next week, uh, single family homes. And we started the year with 494,000. And so, you know, in January and February, okay, you understand. But then in March and April and May, we were still way below and, and inventory didn't build at all. And, and it was fewer sellers slightly more demand, like more buyers than sellers, and therefore inventory was falling all year. And that was really a surprise. Um, home prices adjusted down last fall. And so some of the year-over-year comparisons were were lower. So like in June and July, home, or home prices were May, June, July, where home prices were down year-over-year. But then they started to tick back up year-over-year because that's when the comparisons got easier to the fall. So we had... You know, home prices are basically flat year over year, basically unchanged, maybe up a little bit, maybe down a little bit, depending on how you measure them. Um, they're not falling. Um, but but the the surprise of the year was was that we had more buyers than sellers uh, and therefore the available inventory fell. And that really kept the floor on prices like there are more homes of uh, there are fewer more buyers than there are homes to buy. And so therefore, there's there's not downward pressure on home prices. Let's talk a little bit um, because, you know, you mentioned those uh, 494,000 number. Um, your numbers are different than, you know, the way Altos Research calculates things is different than, say, what people might be familiar with, with NAR. So give us a little bit of insight into how you come up with your numbers. Yeah. So what Altos does is we're tracking, we track every home for sale in the country every week. Uh, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, and, all, and we literally count them. And when I talk about 494,000, I'm talking about single family homes that we have another number that's the condos and townhomes. The markets tend to move together, but, but they're different. And they're, so we like to talk about, we like to focus on single family when I'm, when I'm talking about national trends. Um, and so that's a, uh, it's a single family number. What, what NAR does is they go, in a month, now we're in August, they look back at July and they say, well, we can see these homes on the market and we can see these sold. So they must have been on the market and they put them all together and they count like a big monthly inventory number. And uh, so it includes homes that are in contract, which are no longer for sale. They're pendings. Uh, we have a different number for pendings and there's uh, 383,000 single family homes that are in contract right now, pending contract right now. And so um, so when we're talking about active inventory, we're like, if you walk into the market today, there are 494,000 homes you can choose from. And well, that's it. That is not a lot. 
<laughs> it's not a lot. No, just a few years ago, this time of year, it had been 1.2 million, something like that. Just like mid, mid part of the last decade, 2015 timeframe. Uh, 2019, I think it was, it was literally a hundred percent higher than it is right now. 900,000, something like that. Uh, almost a million in August of 2019. So we're literally 50% of the homes, 50% fewer homes that, than we'd, you'd normally expect to be available. And we thought we might see it getting back to normal this year, but it, it, it did not. Let's talk about that. Uh, the fact that January, um, until, you know, maybe this week, last week was the highest point of inventory for the whole year. And as you point out, I mean, this is in a rising rate environment. That's the most interesting thing, I think, to anyone watching the housing market is like, no one expected that demand. While it's not booming, it would be enough at, at this, at this mortgage rate. Yeah. Well, and here's what's interesting, Sarah, is that. Is it a rising rate environment? It was a rise. Rates rose last year and inventory rose last year. And this is really a, a, um, uh, a thing like a, a rule. I'm calling it the Altos rule now. Higher rates equals higher inventory. Lower rates yields lower inventory. Uh, what happens is holding costs start to rise. And so we hold less. And when, when mortgage rates fall, holding costs all for homes. So we hold more, we hoard them and we don't sell them. And so for available inventory, what we've observed over the last bunch of years is when rates arise, inventory rises, when rates fall, inventory falls. And uh, so rates rose dramatically last year and inventory rose dramatically last year. But then most of the year this year, inventory inventory and mortgage rates are actually ticking down um, from where they were. We're now in the space, in actually in the last couple of months, where rates then went back from in the sixes. Now we're over sevens pretty reliably. We've been in this like upper six, lower sevens band for a couple of months now. Um, we can see slowing in demand, buyer demand, like just a little bit. We can see a little bit of things that are, are softening, like affordability matters. Um, and, but, you know, if in the second half of the year, if rates were to tick down into the sixes, you can expect inventory to, to create or down, like drop down with it. If rates like last September, rates spiked and inventory spiked at the same time late in the year, which is very unusual. So we would see that same pattern this year. So, you know, Logan and I are always talking about mortgage rate lockdown. Uh, I'm on team mortgage rate lockdown. He is not. And you sound like you uh, agree with Logan, but for maybe you're looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, I um, I think of it. I, so I think Logan and I get to the same conclusion, which is uh, that the main point is that lower rates are not going to get us more inventory. They will get us more demand. And the demand will buy up more stuff and hold more stuff. So the inventory if selection will actually fall. And so I think that's the, the concept is that, is that if, you know, we say, well, people can't sell their homes because they're locked in. It's actually uh, people don't sell their homes because they have a really good deal. And so, uh, so what, so the, the rule, the rule of thumb that I am trying to get people to understand uh, it is the conceptual or the, 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 the common wisdom is that, um, 
conventional wisdom is that, you know, once rates fall again, we'll start to see more inventory. But I think the data shows that the opposite is true, that once rates fall, it becomes easier to buy and easier to hold. And so I don't, I will, will support demand, but not necessarily supply or not as much supply. Man, now I have you and Logan on the other side. That is that is a formidable team of people with a whole two different data sets coming at me. So, you know, Logan and I are going to be talking about that on a live podcast at HousingWire Annual. And I think we need to just have you on the stage for that. I think you need to come up and be a part of that cage match. Even though I'm stacking the other side, that's okay. I want us to get to the bottom of it. And I would like to mention to all of the listeners, Mike, you are one of our featured speakers at um, Housing Wire Annual. That's October 10th through 12th. And you are going to be doing a deep dive. And then you can also talk to people. So it's a it's a great opportunity for people to hear um, and, and get to meet you and, and talk to you and also um you know, hear that really great talk that you're going to give on inventory and home prices and and all the things that you see from from your specific vantage point. Yes, and I also I will also uh, tell the story of the time that I saved Goldman Sachs from bankruptcy. So you got to show up to hear that story. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear that story. Yes, that will definitely be interesting. Um, I think it's going to be great. We we have an amazing lineup, and I'm so glad that you're part of it this year. Um, let's talk about home prices. So you, we 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 talked about inventory, which obviously inventory demand kind of uh, together. Tell us a story about home prices. From your perspective, what's been the most surprising thing about this year with home prices? Um, you know, the, the, the most surprising thing about this this year was that they didn't fall as much as I expected them to. Um, and I didn't expect them to fall much, but they really didn't like fall much at all. A couple of markets, um, but but really in general, some markets in didn't even correct down at all. So uh, that was, it was surprising that, uh, that home prices held up better all year long than I expected them to. Uh, we could see that most of the year, uh, you know, we were recovering, prices were recovering from big dips in July and September of last year. When, when the mortgage rates spiked, buyers backed way off. And so then all those sales prices were like, you know, fewer offers and price reductions. And we could, you could see that really clearly. Um, and so our year over year uh, comparisons will get easier in September. So when, again, this year, when, when, um, you know, when we roll into September, October, November, assuming we don't have another mortgage rate spike, uh, we would, we will have, we'll be able to see we'll end 2023 with home prices up. 3%, 5, 2%, somewhere in that range, up year over year. And and that, like, what a surprise that was after the fourth quarter of last year, right? Very surprising. So, you know, one of the great things about Altos is that you guys can dig down into specific markets. This is not just some like, oh, throw it to the wind. I mean, you know what's happening in markets. When, you know, catch us up on like those pandemic markets, the ones we think of like that that really boomed when people were moving out to, you know, they could do remote work. Think about Boise, you think about Austin. There's there's a lot of places. Where, where do those fall right now? What do prices look like there? So Boise, Austin, uh, Phoenix, Denver, like the Western markets, the Western boom markets, were uh, were the biggest up. They were also the fastest to adjust down late last year. 
So you could see it in the percentage of homes on the market taking price cuts, right? So that's a real indication buyers have stopped, demand has stopped, and oops, we missed the window. So now the, the sellers have to cut prices. You could see that. So uh, normally about a, about a third or in some of those markets, maybe 40% of homes take a price cut before they sell. Those are normal times. And during the pan- peak pandemic, it was only like, 12% needed to because they were getting the multiple offers and you could you can use that price reductions number as a real gauge for where demand is like organic levels of demand in the market. Uh then second half of last year price reductions spiked and they went from like 12% in Austin to 64% or something at the peak like 64% two thirds of the homes on the market are taking a price cut. That's not like so like that's really cold. Um, and, and so, um, but then those markets also, um, recovered quickly. So it's like, uh, in, in the stock market, they call it high beta. Like it, the stock moves up or down more than the, than the, the S and P, right. It's, it's like more volatile. And you could, you can look at those Western U S markets as high beta markets. They're, they're more volatile than the market as, uh, than the country as a whole. Um, and, uh, and so they recovered very well this year. Um, you can start to see the price reductions starting to tick back up when rates have been stubbornly over 7%. It is an affordability window and you can see it in that, um, in that set. So we're now nationally, we're at 35% of the homes have taken a price cut. And that is, um, in the normal range, but it's starting to inch up maybe a little bit above normal, like a little slower than normal. And in the last few weeks, you know, rates have climbed, inching back up over seven. And you can imagine the buyers in the market making slightly fewer offers like, wow, I, you know, I was hoping rates would go to 6.8, but they went to 7.2. I'm not making the offer. And slightly fewer offers means that Slightly more of those sellers that don't get the offers, they say, well, I'm going to have to cut my price. And so we can see slight acceleration in the price reductions. It's uh, both, you know, seasonal. It's the second half of the year. And that's when you start cutting your price to move before the holidays or before school starts, uh, move the place. But um, so it's slightly seasonal, but it looks like just a little more than seasonal. And uh, and that's a function of being where we are, you know, with affordability. So let's take a, a market like um, Austin or Boise or Denver and say um, pre-pandemic, what their prices were then, you know, like where are we compared to like 2019 in, in some of those markets? All of those markets price-wise are up uh, from 2019 really strong, right? Those are, those had, they had, you know, 20, 30% year per year appreciation. Those are, so if you're a homeowner in those markets, you've, you're sitting on tons of equity. Um, most of those markets are still, are, they, they, uh, inventory levels, level of supply climbed almost back to pre pandemic normals, but then they dropped back down this year. And so, you know, in Austin, Phoenix, especially like is back down, um, other than those, the Western markets, the rest of the country, a lot of the rest of the country never got out of the, the pandemic crisis lows, a few inventory, the few of homes for sale. So supply 
really never climbed, especially in the Midwest and Central, uh, out of the pandemic lows at all. Um, so, uh, so then in a place like Austin, though, inventory did climb. And Austin was like one of the very few markets where inventory got back to 2019 levels. But 2019 was already pretty low compared to the the early part of the decade. So anyway, you're sitting on lots of uh, equity, even though there was some price uh, you know, you know, uh, adjustment down. If you bought in June of 2022 in, in Austin and you're in a bidding war, you, you probably have a negative equity right now. Um, it's not, that's not that many people, but, and, and so then, you know, I hope you're planning to stay in your house for a handful of years, which most Americans are and, uh, you know, and ride it out. Like, if you have to sell right as a handful of people who are upside down right now. Interesting. Um, you know, this, gosh, earlier this summer, I saw this whole, so Austin is a market I know pretty well just because I went to school near there. I have family that lives there. I'm down there all the time. Um, I look at it, you know, uh, quite a bit. So um, there was this whole thread of this person uh, on Twitter going by a different builder sites and being like, it's abandoned, you know, it's about to crash. There's nobody here. And I was like, yeah, do you know anybody in Austin? Because um, that's not that's not what's happening. But to your point, it's not it's not all boomtown, and all of those have have seen some corrections, right? Where there have been, um, of course, a lot of other places have been so much less volatile, right? I mean, I think of like the East Coast markets in some ways. Where have there been really stable markets, or even, I mean, are there any markets that have seen a market decrease in home prices over the last couple of years? A market increase in home prices over the last couple of no, years? De- a decrease. decrease. Are there any? Oh, has there any? Than- well, yeah. So I live in San Francisco and San Francisco is uh, in a real wrenching change right now. Uh, you know, the, the, the downtown office vacancy is, um, is like 30% officially, but the cell phone traffic data is down like 70%. Like there's 70% fewer people that go to the office downtown San Francisco. And some of those people are working at their homes in San Francisco. Some of them are, you know, like, well, if I can live anywhere in the world and still work, they are choosing to live anywhere in the world. And so there's a lot of change to still go through for San Francisco. Um, and it's really, you know, the, the type of work, um, is like, so concentrated tech, easy to go elsewhere. It was easy to go elsewhere. Um, and so San Francisco has, uh, home prices are, are down, but you know, you don't have to go very far outside of the city to where, you know, people who you move a little bit further out, get a little more affordability. And so the stability happens there really, um, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. Um, so there are, there are a handful of markets like that. The real expensive, real tech focused, uh, places are, uh, you know, slower to recover. So what about Seattle? That's always been on the, you know, some of the most expensive. So, yeah. Seattle is a similar pattern, right? Seattle's a similar, similar pattern, uh, similar, uh, not as extreme affordability challenges, but similar and, you know, similar workforce. It's like all of the live by the sword, die by the sword, um, you know, stories. Seattle's been a massive growth market for 20 years. And, and, uh, and, and right now is, is definitely, is in a, it's in the other side of that correction. 
Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media. I invited Brenda Nath to give you a little more detail on Housing Wire Annual. This is Housing Wire's mortgage-focused event that covers everything in mortgage finance from origination, servicing, secondary markets, and partnerships with real estate, title, and valuation professionals. You have people like Frank Martell, the CEO of Loan Depot, our own Logan Motoshami, lead analyst over at Housing Wire, Sandra Thompson, FHFA director, and even Celine Kalam, who's the CEO of Thrive Mortgage. These executives are taking the stage. What are they talking about that actually applies to you? So they're addressing how are they staying profitable in this business? How are they creating communication flows from the top down and making sure that everyone through the company is driving that business forward? How are they making the tough decisions? It's a tougher market, but even though it's a tougher market, there's still people who are growing. So how are they winning that market share and what does their mindset have to do with that? And so two of the big buzzwords that we use are actionable items and insights and walking away, but that is something we actually took and then went a level deeper to make sure we're we're creating those opportunities for you guys, whether it's on the pickleball court or staying after in the session to chat with these leaders at these companies. It's the people you want to be in the room with. You want to be surrounded by people who are growing because when I leave a conference, it's that energy that you want to take with you back to your business as you build up more strategy for 2024 and beyond. That's why we call it the starting line, right? You're, you're starting your business for the future. So that's where I would kind of touch on to start with. If you want to learn more about Housing Wire Annual, visit housingwireannual.com. Or if you're on Housing Wire, you can click the events tab and see all of our events, Housing Wire Annual included. This event is October 10th through 12th in Austin, Texas. We're bringing you a special promo. I'm not even gonna tell you what it is on air right now. Um, you have to DM me. So you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Clayton Collins, CEO of HW Media, easy to find, or on Instagram at Housing Clayton. So check us out. Join us at Housing Wire Annual. Thank you. See you in Austin. So the other uh, market I wanted to ask you about was Tampa, Florida. Tampa was just like on fire um, as far as I think you had a lot of immigration, but just like their price acceleration was, you know, notable over the last couple of years. What is Tampa doing? So Tampa and other central Florida markets were notable this year in that, uh, so that, you know, we talked about price reductions in the Western U.S. They spiked last year. Uh, as those Western U.S. markets uh, improved faster, the, the central Florida markets were dominating the price reductions earlier this year. So they were like lagging a little bit on the, the recovery that the Western U.S. had. So they, they had, you know, everybody had a slowdown in the fourth quarter. Central Florida markets lagged a little bit in, uh, in, and as measured by like watching how many price reductions people are doing. Um, you know, inventory is, is uh, in in those markets like Tampa or Orlando uh, is up, uh, you know, off the pandemic lows, but still not really high. Uh, and so, you know, price appreciation uh, is roughly flat. It depend, you know, depends on where you look exactly. Up a little bit, down a little bit, it, uh, year over year. And there aren't um, signals that I can see of. Uh, home prices climbing, uh, like dramatically in, in the near future, right? So we can see there's a, uh, a, like a balanced or slightly elevated number of price reductions right now. So that means that homes are on the market now. If they don't have their offers, they do a price cut, then they get an offer in September. And so, you know, then that closes in October and you start 
hearing about that in November. So you can really see that, you know, prices in, in central Florida, for example, look pretty stable. There's no, um, there's no real upward pressure, even though, you know, the inbound migration things are still underway. You know, there's, um, like it looks like, uh, um, like, like we're going to see flat years in those kind of markets. Interesting. You know, the last um, area of the country I wanted to talk to, to you about was the Midwest. You know, we ha- we hear these stories of lots of people moving to very affordable markets and actually maybe changing the calculus of those markets if you have enough people coming in. But what does the Midwest look like over the last couple of years? The Midwest um, is has was really notable in that uh, Midwest and actually Northeast, all the way up Midwest and Northeast had this similar patterns was that, you know, the, the, the immigration boom in the, the sunshine, the smile states, uh, that immigration was coming from the Midwest, right? And so when rates jumped, uh, the, uh, though that demand stopped in, you know, Arizona, moving from Chicago to Arizona. Uh, or from New York to Florida. And so that demand stopped. And that's why we could see, uh, we could see price reductions kick. We could see inventory climb. We could see all of those things happen. Uh, that, that, that really dramatic move from Flor- from say Chicago to, to Arizona was super easy at 2% mortgage rates. Uh, and so suddenly that stopped. So what happens then is that. In the Midwest, there was they didn't have that um, those that buyer demand to uh, gobble up inventory. So when the demand stopped, inventory didn't rise. Right? It, it, it was that that dynamic was not there. So in other words, the notable thing in the beginning of this year was like, wow, you know, Chicago and Pittsburgh and even Connecticut. They had not climbed off of the pandemic lows of inventory. Like they were still at these ultra, ultra lows of inventory. And that was a real signal early this year is that, wow, um, prices can't really fall because there's a third of the normal number of homes on the market. And so you got normal numbers of like, you know, people getting married and whatever, like buying homes and like doing life events. And so. Um, there are just too few homes available in all those markets. And so the, uh, they didn't have the big investor presence. They don't have like the big, you know, I buyer presence. They don't have all of those things were, were not there. And so when that, that, that demand, those were the parts of demand that stopped very quickly. And so, uh, you didn't see any inventory build because there was nothing to build there. And that I thought was, really notable. If you have a broad slowdown, like a 2008, oh my God, things are crashing. You'll see, you'd see it everywhere, right? You'd see, wow, Americans are like, it stopped. We, we could, we see that in, you know, and you could see different local patterns and you could see that that was the further out in the exurbs that was worse. But, but you, you really, we saw the slowdown really dramatically in, in, you know, the boom markets, uh, but not in much of the rest of the country. And so that was what was notable uh, early this year about the Midwest and Northeast. And it was sort of, it was surprising, but it was also really informative to me at the time, like, wow, you know, we're not going to get an inventory surge this year. 
if, you know, these markets, you know, a big population of the country is still at, you know, a third of the normal inventory. That is so crazy. I mean, I just think that uh, every year for the last couple of years, right? I've been like, you know, we, we talked about 2020 was unprecedented. It certainly was. But in housing for the last, you know, since 2020, it has been crazy every year for different reasons, you know, and that's, that is probably the most surprising thing that, and then that, how that drives home prices. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been, um, you know, there's a lot of money, uh, you know, slushing around the system. And in, I, in some ways it still is. Uh, I was talking to a, um, on, on the Altos podcast, um, somebody who runs a big single family investment oriented firm. And he was saying that, um, that, you know, there are so many funds with dedicated cash that is, that is assigned to purchase single family homes that as soon as prices adjust down just a little bit, then the cap rates get just it right in the window and they buy it because they have to buy it. And that that's literally cash sitting on the sidelines. And we saw that, you know, you could see that in like Phoenix this year, you know, you could see that there was a, there was a, a really precise floor, you know, the cap rate gets to whatever X percent and they'll buy everything. Wow. That is, that's crazy. And, and to think that that's still happening. And that's my next question. My last question for you is what does the fall look like? What does the fall going into winter look like? The, the thing that we're noticing now, and it's really subtle, uh, a subtle slowdown in demand. Um, and so, you know, this week mortgage rates are at 7.2 or something like that. And, and like I said, that definitely impacts affordability. Uh, so that means that inventory would grow later into the year, a uh, few more weeks, probably, uh, if rates continue to go up. So we don't predict mortgage rates at, at Altos. Like we measure the housing market. So I don't know, do rates go up? Do they go? I don't have any idea. I've been unable to predict that for 30 years. Uh, and I've been wrong for 30 years. So if rates go up, though, we can see the sense of the consumer sensitivity. We can see that inventory can climb even super late into the year. And if rates were to spike, for example, if we have, you know, continued strong economy, we've had surprisingly strong economy, been expecting recession for a year and a half now, but we've had surprisingly strong economy. And, uh, and so if those numbers continue to be strong, if inflation doesn't tick down it, you know, as much as we'd like or something like that, you can imagine that mortgage rates, uh, would, would spike and that would higher rates means higher inventory means less demand. And therefore some of the year over year price gains could get squeezed back out and we could end closer to flat. Uh, in home prices. Uh, right now, I would expect us to end the year with, like I said, about 3% home price appreciation nationally. Um, and uh, and we will end the year with about uh, 15 to 20% fewer homes on the market than we started the year, closer to 400,000 from 500,000. So we, we, uh, there's no signal anywhere in the data of a surge in inventory, um, whether it's like investors selling or or distressed seller homeowners, like there's no signal anywhere in the data, Airbnb, whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of fears that those may happen, but there's no signal anywhere in the data that it is yet happening. Um, and so, you know, 
so that's what the, what we'd look for the rest of the year. If rates were to nudge down into the sixes and mid sixes, then I would expect that to accelerate purchases a little bit of demand in the second half of the year, and inventory would then fall even further. Lower rates, lower inventory. In for even further and end the year, you know, maybe, you know, under 400,000 single family homes on the market. Unbelievable. What a great, I mean, I, I believe you. I, I don't mean unbelievable that, but it's just such a crazy market. Um, and to think that that's, you know, that might even be then like a third of the normal homes that we would have on the market, right? If we usually have what, 1.2? I mean, yeah. Um, I, I think, well, depending on where you compare to. But yeah, like it is half of what what it was in 2019. Um, like I said, there's no signal that it would surge. You know, if rates went to 10%, inventory would climb. You know, a lot. You know, maybe that would throw everything off. I don't know uh, what I don't even what eight percent will look like. But but rising rates, rising inventory, uh, and if rates slide down, will spur demand. Uh, and and holding, and so we'll, we will have fewer homes. So, like that's really the outlook for the rest of the year. And really, you know, it's as you say, unbelievable. And what's unbelievable is if you think six months ago or eight months ago, now beginning of the year, like what we we're expect, what I was expecting in the beginning of the year was not this. It's significantly stronger performance this year than I expected. Um, at that point, we were looking at. You know, you're expecting, well, recession kicks in and uh, and buyer demand stays low. And therefore, we like this point of the year, I was expecting maybe we had 700,000 homes on the market right now. And, you know, we're under 500,000. So, um, you know, each week, the our little inventory forecast model had was adjusted down every week, all almost every week, all year long, just like and And so... Uh, so anyway, there's still no signs. You know, if recession finally does come, you know, wh- like wh- how does that impact? You can Im- imagine that that would uh, drive some, uh, you know, distressed sellers. But that inventory is probably another year out. That's probably 2025 inventory. So, uh, you know, as of right now, there's no signal anywhere in the data for any surge in inventory. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on. Again, I would tell our, our listeners, come to Housing Mart Annual so you can meet Mike in person, hear that amazing story. Um, and Altos Research, it's an incredible resource, um, obviously, that we use all the time. And to be able to track inventory to the level that you can in real time for every market is um, amazing. So, Mike, thanks for being on. And I will have you on again in a couple of months, and we'll talk about what the fall market, and, and we'll, we'll just keep this conversation going. It's the latest. All right. Well, the data is always fresh, so we always have something to talk about. I love it. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight. 